even the carers couldn't go in to see them. And so even if you've got a carer that goes in for an hour a day, let's say, to look after your grandmother or, or, or your mum, that still leaves 23 hours of the day when you're unsure about what's happening. My guest today is Paul Burney, the CMO of Anthropos, a connected care company that is trying to prevent the preventable and give older people the confidence to live longer in their own homes. I'm David Savage, your host for today on the podcast that's powered by the Harvey Nash Group, and I'm also joined by a special guest co-host, Anna Flockett, the editor of Startups Magazines. Joining me today, I've got Anna, uh, the editor of Startups Magazine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are uh, you? Yes, good, thank you. Good. You've, you've had a number of Hindus uh, recently. You're about to get married, right? <laughs> yeah, so next Friday is the big day, the 20th of August. Um, and yes, I'm all Hindu'd out now, finally finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's talking to you on a, on a Monday morning. Oh, sorry, Monday afternoon looking at the time, but still slightly, slightly silly of me. <laughs> no, this one was probably my most um, reserved Hindu with the family. So uh, luckily enough, this Monday hasn't been as um, dreadful as some of the previous Mondays that you could have caught me on. <laughs> so look, very quickly, um, how long have you been editor of Startups Mag? And for anyone who's not familiar with the magazine, what is it? So I took over as editor at the beginning of 2020, um, so about 18 months ago. Um, I'd worked on the magazine um, as an editor, um, as like an editorial assistant um, since the beginning, since we kind of created the magazine back in April 2018. And yeah, for anyone that is not familiar with us, we basically are a print <clears throat> and a uh, uh, print and digital online publication that basically is here to champion tech startups. So the way we've done it is we've kind of split the magazine 50-50 so that half the magazine is all about startups that we speak to, ask them questions, all about their product, their life, their journey, the founders, some like personal questions themselves. And then the other half, we speak to industry experts and organizations that have the um, ideology to help startups and businesses some way or another. And each issue is themed and the features and the startup stories um, often go hand in hand, but it's basically just a resource to kind of celebrate all the startups out there that deserve to be kind of shouted about and also a tool that can you can pick up as a startup founder listen to other founders and kind of gain some experience from personal stories and from um more um experts that can help you along your way and, and connect the dots between the two so uh, as you said there each um magazine has a theme yeah. issue 20 has just been released and the theme is health tech and uh, mental health and physical health well-being which is wonderful because the guest that we've got for today's podcast is anthropos who <laughs> are a connected care app but we will come on we will come back to the magazine slightly later in the podcast so we'll talk about yeah. that in a bit but we'll hand over to the, the interview with paul uh and then we'll have some comments on it afterwards today we are joined by paul from anthropos paul uh you are the cmo right i am yeah good morning david before we get into anything else, who are Anthropos? So we are a, a connected care company. We mm -hmm. uh, provide uh, an IoT stroke AI solution. Uh, that's the, the most technical way of doing it. But the reality is what we do is we put sensors into the homes of older people. Those collect data. They give us an understanding of the pattern of behavior of those older people, their daily routine. And then we use machine learning to look for differences in it. 
so that we can spot when something's going wrong in the life of that older person and, and take preventative action. Now, look, forgive me, this might be uh, a rubbish comparison, but I've heard that using things like machine learning, that uh, sites like Spotify would be able to detect if someone has Parkinson's quicker than than just about any other means because of the way that, that people are kind of using that service, the, the way that they kind of hit their phone screen. Are, are we talking about stuff like that when we're talking about sensors and IoT, or is it is it a bit more nuanced? Um, actually, we're, we're, I'd never heard the, the Spotify comparison made before, and, I, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that most of the users of our platform who are overrating uh, are not using Spotify. <laughs> but no, actually, it, it's a we've really focused on passive sensors, so things that people don't have to engage with. So sensors that can detect movement in the home, or the use of the kettle, or the microwave, or the fridge, or um, doors opening and closing. There's a huge amount you can tell about someone's normal daily routine by, by tracking all of those things and then looking for differences. That's interesting. So, so straight away, it kind of gives a clearer indication of kind of what the, what the demographic is or what, what the customer base is. So typically speaking, when, when, you, when someone is, is looking to use Anthropos as a service, then is, is it concerned children, perhaps, of, of elderly parents who are beginning to worry about those people uh, and, and want to make sure that they are safe, they are alerted, they are aware of, of what that person's status is? Yeah, it's, ex- it's exactly that. Um, you know, generally speaking, the people who are buying care of any sort are the children of older people, so in their 50s and 60s with parents in their late 70s and 80s. And you know, they'll either have a concern that uh, mum or dad is not looking after themselves as well as possible, or they live a long way away. Or for the last 18 months, they've been shielding and isolating and haven't been able to visit them. And, and mm. so being able to provide family members with reassurance that says, actually, mum's okay. You know, she's had eight hours sleep. She's up. She's, you know, made a cup of tea. She's had breakfast. She's sitting in her favorite chair. The doors are locked. The temperature in the house is okay. All of those things can provide family members with reassurance. And then the knowledge that if something changes, you will tell them about it, uh, you know, kind of helps give that kind of peace of mind that if they can't be there, they can at least understand better what's happening to mum or dad when they're, when they're not there. You touched there on a couple of things that are really quite interesting to unpack. Uh, and certainly the, the, I suppose, the, the effects of the pandemic and what's that, what that's done on family life. Is, yeah. is one thing because I remember having conversations along these lines where it was talking about the fact that you know a couple of generations back I suppose there was that there was that um, almost acceptance that people would look after their parents in in later years but with the way that that people's careers and the dynamic in terms of the economy had changed that people tended to live a long way from their parents so if I think to my grandma my grandma passed away maybe five years ago but she was incredibly she was lovely but she was very stubborn. And she didn't want to leave her own home, which was in Grimsby. And my parents lived in Newcastle and they couldn't be close. But um, I, I suppose that's a pattern that, that many families have seen with the way that working life has evolved over the last 20 years or so. And I wonder whether with the pandemic and people being able to be a little bit less tied to a particular location, if they might begin to radiate back towards families. Well, I think there's certainly an element of that. But I, I would say to you, um, probably stubborn's the wrong word. Uh, to, to apply to older people, you know, why shouldn't they be able to, t- to determine? I'll, I'll use that. I'll use that specifically for my grandma. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why, you know, why shouldn't they specifically be able to to choose where they want to live? You know, the, the whole mm-hmm. goal that we have is 
can we help older people stay in their own homes well and safe for longer? Because that's what mm. they want. And there's no harm in adding to that by saying, while they're doing that, can we offer their family some reassurance that everything's okay? So the platform really works for, for um, people who are living on their own. So what we saw in particular during in the pandemic is, of course, you know, you weren't able to travel, people weren't able to see, and in some cases, certainly in the earlier days of the pandemic, um, even the carers couldn't go in to see them. And so even if you've got a carer that goes in for an hour a day, let's say, to look after your grandmother or, or, or your mum, that still leaves 23 hours of the day when you're unsure about what's happening. And so what we're really looking to do is say, we'll give you a window into the life of, of that older person or your loved one, and we'll tell you if something's going wrong. So we we look for two different types of, of changes of behavior. We look for something has gone wrong, you need to help them immediately. We think they've had a fall, or perhaps we think that you know someone with dementia has left the home. I always think the more interesting stuff is we look for insights that show you subtle changes in behavior that take place over time. So perhaps an increase in use of the bathroom or a decrease in use of uh, the kettle and the microwave, which shows they're not managing their nutrition well enough, or uh, an increase in the number of interruptions in their sleep during the night. Very often it's those small unseen things that are the precursors to something else happening in that person's life. Is... You mentioned that the, the sorry. You mentioned that the customer base that you have is predominantly over eighty. A lot of the stuff that you're talking about there, kind of picking up on early behavioural changes and and maybe re- regards to dementia or Alzheimer's. Dementia and Alzheimer's can strike a lot earlier yes. in life and seem to be on the rise. Is there a case that some children might try and suggest to parents, maybe not elderly parents, but parents who are beginning to advance in age? I I would feel more comfortable. I would I would feel uh, that that I, I was looking out for you to the best of my ability by trying to suggest that they have these bef- these these kind of technologies in their home before the parent themselves perhaps feels that they need it. Yeah, I, th- there is definitely a case for that. You might look at it as kind of pre-care. So if you think about the options that are available to people, you know, traditionally they've been. Um, like a telecare alarm, you know, a button and a box where you could press a button and feed someone if, if, if something went wrong. That's the only technology, the solution really that's been available traditionally. Then you're into, you know, visiting care from domiciliary care companies and, and then live-in care. Uh, and then it's residential care. And what we're saying is actually you can add something about understanding people's daily routine it, it, using technology, particularly this passive technology, no cameras involved, no microphones involved. So, you know, we would always encourage family members to say to mum or dad, look, we're not listening to you. We're not watching you. This is just for a little bit of peace of mind for me because I live far away. I'm the youngest. I'm one of the, uh, I've got three brothers and my mum and dad live 200 miles away from me in in Hove and I'm the nearest of their four children. And I Mm. definitely want to know if everything's okay with with them. both of them have had had health issues, so I would definitely want to be able to just check. And it's almost like a social media check in using our family app. You know, you'd literally just tap on the app and see a whole range of statistics about how mum or dad is, and and it's just that peace of mind. So I, I think you're right in terms of the ability to to go to, to to older parents and perhaps say this is more for me than it is for you. But if something does change, at least we'll both know 
and we'll be able to to make a joint decision based upon evidence. How many customers are coming to you and asking about the integrity of your data and how secure that is and how secure the devices are? Because if you're putting smart devices into people's homes, yeah. I know this is being connected perhaps to to kettles and, uh, and whatnot, as opposed to a smartphone, which was obviously targeted recently with Pegasus. But there is that, there are, that element that the more connected a home is, I suppose, the more vulnerable it is to to attack by nefarious actors yeah. is that a question you're getting a lot and how are you how are you kind of dealing with that yeah we do, we do get asked and and the kind of customers that, that that we work with so we we're a b2b company we don't sell directly to the to the consumer we work through care companies so we work with companies right. like home instead who are the biggest domiciliary care provider in the world and we work with uh, uh taking care one of the you know the big uh call center alarm center companies um of course, they asked us about the integrity of the data, and, they, and they've been through extensive mm. testing of our of our security process. In terms of the way in which we manage data, you know, it is the older person themselves that, that owns the data. It is their data. It is about them. They give permission for it to be shared with family members or a care company or ourselves. But at any stage, they can, uh, you know, they can request that their you know their their data is deleted from our system, and and no one has access to it. So. You know, we're, we're very uh, careful about who can access data and, and how. And we're, you know, we're, we're always trying to keep the older person front, front of mind as it's, you know, it's, it's about them and it's their data. So you mentioned there that you are B2B, you're working with some care providers. Yeah. Do you have any ties into uh, the NHS and those services? How, how does the company operate on that? Yeah, point we've, start, we've started to work through... Um, uh, through care companies who who you know are, are contracted to the N- NHS to deliver services, um, and I think you know a, a large area of our growth in the future is going to be within uh, local authorities rather perhaps rather than the NHS. The NHS is more l- largely concerned with more clinical health matters mm-hmm. where we're really helping social care. Um, you know, so we're going to be working with and yeah, we've got a, a a trial launching in Warwickshire at the moment with a local authority that's looking at how better to look after people in the community and keep them in their own homes for longer. So, you know, it involves the local authority, local GPs, it involves the, the NHS, CCG, um, and, and a domiciliary care company all combining together because they all have the same goal is, can we help this person stay in their own home for longer? And look, this might be sound, this might sound like a really trite question, but does does the older person get that? Do, do they do they feel like, oh, hang on, my family wants to spy on me. They think that I'm not capable. Or do they see it from a point of view of, no, this this does give me independence. This does keep me in my home. This gives me what I want. I think they they do understand. They do understand it. Yeah, you know, we're at pains to make sure that that the care companies explain to them the reason why it's been put in place, and we often, obviously we have to have their permission in order to do so. Um, you know, I've spent plenty of time talking to the older people who who use it, and. and Actually, there's a little bit of reassurance for them as well, just knowing that someone's looking out for them. You know, because although, as you might have put that, you might have, you, you'd use the term stubborn, I would probably put fiercely independent older people <laughs> in, instead. You know, there's, there's still an acknowledgement from a, from a lot of them that actually it's not a bad thing for someone to be able to keep an eye out on them uh, in, in case something goes wrong, a little bit of kind of peace of mind for them as well. Yeah, no, look, and I, I say that just from the point of view of someone who, whose own parents are be, now beginning to approach 70 and 
and they're less mobile than they were and they live in they live in a village up a hill in northumberland so yeah uh, get, getting an ambulance out to them can take a long time you know r- rural services and and, and so on if, if something was to go wrong it's, it's not quite as accessible as if they live in a large urban area so it is it is interesting to kind of get that dam- dynamic i could see myself having a conversation with them around stuff like this in the not too distant future yeah and my parents are in, are in their 80s um and you know i've, I've had that conversation with them and, and actually the platform is installed installed in their home um uh, more as a kind of test bed for anything else as all employees have done the same thing but it is interesting that you can have conversations with with people on a different what level and in a different way that you know if you know that they they are struggling with sleeping at night you know i quite often the thing that is revealed to families most you know most frequently is um mum and dad have a lot of broken sleep during the night they're getting out of bed frequently and it's part of the reason that explains why they're so tired during the day. And there are things that you can do to help with that. The whole point of this is that can you spot things and can you prevent the preventable? Could you see things that are changing and take action? Sometimes it's a subtle change to the way in which their care is delivered you know, by the local authority or by a, a domiciliary care company. Little changes to their care plan that can really um, you know, make a substantial difference in people's lives. You know, I think of a, a one specific incident you know, uh, that, that's really kind of front of mind for me, uh, an older lady who was, who was living in Devon on her own, family live in London. Once the system was put in, it took only 48 hours for the care company to realise that actually mum's not very good at, at drinking. And it's a really small thing. They just, you know, she never uses the kettle unless the carer is in the building. And so what they did was just leave notes around the house to remind her to make, you know, have a drink. It's a tiny thing, but actually dehydration is, is the second most frequent reason, preventable reason that people end up in hospital, uh, older people. Yeah. So, you know, if you can see small things and make small changes, it can make a, a substantial impact in someone's life. The last thing that I wanted to ask you, your, your CMO, um, how do you see growth going this year as we kind of come out of lockdowns i suppose fewer people having to shield necessarily although still some nervousness out there um but during the pandemic there has been definitely an adoption of technology by older generations that maybe sometimes had been um not not as well thought of of of, of all technology companies obviously that won't be the, the case for you but i suppose there has been kind of a lot of people who maybe hadn't used technology as widely before now are kind of getting more comfortable with it. And I suppose that that can't be a bad thing for the growth of the organization. Yeah, not a bad thing at all. A lot of older people have got used to using Skype or Teams or Zoom or what have you to, to stay in connection with people. So the sense of I can have technology in my home, either that I can use or that can be to my my benefit, definitely helps in terms of mind shift. The fact that ours is all passive and kind of disappears like a smoke alarm in the background also helps us. The pandemic has definitely heightened people's awareness of um, remote monitoring as a, as a as a technology. You know, the, the whole idea of being able to look and monitor someone from afar. So all of those are positives. The whole of health and social care is moving towards uh, predict and prevent. You know that that is the future of of the health. In, health and studio, you know, there, there is, there's plenty of, of uh, um, push behind that. You know, the government published a paper just um, 10 days ago saying, you know, data help, can help save lives. The House of Lords published a paper in January saying the government, you know, the government needs to adopt more tech to help people stay in their own homes. You know, there, there are, there's plenty of evidence that 
this kind of technology, connected care, is going to be a fundamental part of of the care that we deliver in the future. Not forgetting, you know, we've got an aging population. There are going to be more and more older people living longer and living longer with more conditions, you know, uh, mm. that, that affect their lives. So helping them stay at home is, you know, what they want. It's what families want. But also, you know, helping them stay out of residential care, which, you know, frankly, for the local authority and for the government is much more expensive uh, and, you know, uh, much less desirable. Look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. I, I'm sure it's something that will resonate with a lot of listeners. So uh, fingers crossed um, it continues to go well for the, for the business this year. But yeah, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, David. Right. Um, what stood out? Um, well, what, a, what an interesting solution. I think one of the first things that stood out for me was um, that obviously his the the customer or how you kept saying the customer um and the you know the person they're targeting is is the well it's the children really isn't it it's the children mm. of the parents so they're creating something that's helping one person but they're targeting someone else um to kind of like draw them in and I thought it was interesting when you asked like do do the older people want this because I was thinking of kind of my granddad from a personal experience I mean my mum's only 50 something and so I think at the moment she would be like absolutely not but I think <laughs> but I think even um my granddad might be a bit kind of reserved and was like I don't know if I want this in my house I feel a bit invaded etc etc so I think it's clever how they their product is for these elderly people but they're targeting them through their children because they will then say, oh, let's do this. And they can kind of like bring it to them in, in a warmer way, say. So then that they're more, like you said, they're more kind of um, on board with having it because it's it's not just for the elderly people. It is for their children and giving them more peace of mind. Yeah, that kind of providing reassurance for family members, the knowledge that, you know, if something changes in their home and you're not close, then, you know, you, you, you can act. It, it is interesting, isn't it? Because the customer is almost split. It's like a split identity. Yeah. and. Um, you are selling to the children, let's say. I know that's crude, yeah. but you're selling to the children. Um, but still, the data and ultimately the customer is the older person who you are looking to give the confidence and the reassurance that they can live in their own home safely. So yeah. there, is, there is an interesting dynamic there. Um, yeah. and, and I suppose where you've got that issue of, um, do, you know, where you mentioned about your granddad, would it be invasive? I think yeah. it's really important that he talks about the fact that it's passive and it disappears like a smoke alarm. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting point. You know, it's not using cameras. It's not using microphones. It's just something that's there that, that knows when you've clicked the kettle on. It just knows when you've, you know, when you've put the telly on perhaps and, and just tracks the movement of someone around the home. In the same way, I suppose, and I don't find this invasive, where you've got connected devices like a smartwatch, um, if you're going out for a run and all of a sudden your, um, your heart rate disappears or you, you stop moving suddenly uh, in an area that it doesn't expect you to, then there's a device, there's, there's um, a feature, sorry, on those devices that can contact um, emergency contacts or, or even the emergency services on yeah. 
on um, automatic if you want it to. And I suppose yeah. it's that thing. It's, it's, it's preventing the preventable. If, yeah. if someone in, who is old in their home collapses and you know that they, they put the kettle on three times a morning and they haven't put the kettle on, well, you can make sure that they're, they're, not, they're not struggling on their own and unable to get help. Yeah, and I think it, it. I think it is um, best for everyone, like like we're kind of pointing out. But I think it's because we're it's being used at the moment for people who say are eighty or older, or, or like you also pointed out, um, people are a bit younger because it's preventative. So we should be targeting maybe one younger. Um, but I think because they haven't grown up with technology, like say me and you have in our age when we get to that age we will have all sorts of this stuff in our house and everyone will like it'll be normal like you said smartwatch we've all got um well most people have got these smart sport watches now and like you say there's a feature where it says have you had a fall like um i was lifting something heavy and then i dropped my watch and it was like have you had a fall can i call the um you know do you need help and to us that doesn't seem invasive or out of the ordinary at all because we live with so much technology around us it's just the norm for us whereas it might just be a little bit different for them because well I mean my granddad has got an Alexa now but he doesn't really have a clue what to do with it so every time I go up I have to kind of like explain something else or sort sort, sort something out that hasn't gone that's gone wrong for him or sometimes you know his internet just disconnects and he doesn't know how to sort that out so you know one of his grandchildren does have to go around and sort that out and I think maybe the more technology that they are um you know becoming accustomed to the more that they will accept it and they won't have any reservations mm. i mean it's funny isn't it you say there that he, he's got uh, an alexa which is a far more invasive device than what anthropos are are suggesting yeah, yeah far more invasive yeah yes so true but i think everyone sees so much the gimmick side of Alexa, you know, Alexa, what's the weather? Alexa, set me a timer. Alexa, tell me a joke. They don't think about the invasive side. Well, most people don't. The the people that aren't super techie, they don't think about the the repercussions and you know how much data she really is holding. Yeah, yeah. One thing I mentioned at the beginning of the interview was about was about Spotify. Just um, yeah. Just afterwards, I got an email through from from uh, the guys uh, just saying that they couldn't explicitly find the Spotify example that I mentioned, but it is similar um, in so many other uses of preventative technology, basically where you're looking at changes in behavior or new patterns that can detect something that might be up. So they, they just said that, look, we use the data about behavior during the day throughout the home to provide trustworthy insights to carers and family members. And I, and I suppose that's the thing, it's, it's trust. And, and where they were talking throughout the interview, trust was, was never too far from the conversation because um, you need, you know, increasingly children are not on the doorstep of their parents and they want to be able to trust that this, this is safe and that the data is being used in, a, in an ethical way and that actually yeah. it's going to work as well. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, like I say, um, you were saying that most people move away. I'm pretty sure everyone I know now has moved away from some of their family. Um, no one is completely living together. So although you might have someone nearby, eventually you know you are going to be alone and you know families are getting more and more split up and people are moving away so I think the more and more technology and um, devices that we can have to help connect each other and to help in situations like this I think it is definitely worth doing and 
like we say, it's giving peace of mind, isn't it? It's not just for the the elderly themselves. It is for the, you know, the the big, um, the son that's moved to the, to the big job down in London and and left their grandparents maybe up in Manchester or do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like a, another way of kind of being able to move away and not having to worry about going up every other weekend because yeah. you have got this extra connectivity that you can look out for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the last point I'd make, a bit of education for me. Look, I'm, I'm 36. I still consider myself to be reasonably young. I, would, I, I probably don't use the best language. And if you are trying to get, like, you know, in a few years' time, I might try and get my parents to think about something like this. And it's just kind of getting that that language right in terms of if you're gonna if you're gonna make them feel that this is something that that is caring and supportive rather than <laughs> I suppose too much of a nanny state. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And um, it was interesting, to, you know, that he said we've started to work with care companies. Mm. So I wondered then if you know people get to a certain stage where they can't really be living fully on their own, but they um well he used the example when the carers come in um if people are having carers come in then surely they know that they need some sort of help and I know a lot of people at first when they have carers come in or um they first make that transition they're not happy with that like they want their um uh, what's the word they want their independence as, as long as they can hold on to it so yeah I thought it was um, really interesting that he he just kept saying, obviously, like, you know, the goal is to help these older people live in their own homes for longer, whether that involves carers coming in or what, or maybe if with the with these devices, it can mean carers come in less because, you know, they're using this data and they're picking up on bits. So they, they don't have to have as much care looked after them. But I did also think, could they start using them in care homes or I did look on their website but I didn't get this far but I know the goal is to keep them out of care homes and keep them in their own homes but I know some people also do worry about their parents or their grandparents when they go into care homes because you know you don't always know what is going on and I'm sure most care homes are lovely places and the workers are lovely people but you you do hear stories and you know you do hear the odd horror story so you do wonder sometimes like what is going on what can I do because obviously you can't move in there with them so you know if you had this extra layer of seeing data and what they're up to um, and again it being passive and not invasive because obviously there's other people around it may be useful in that situation as well. No, I think that's that's very fair, and it'd be, you know, I think it'd be f- very telling, wouldn't it, um, if the care home was to refuse you the ability to do that? Yeah, exactly. That would be a bit of a red flag, wouldn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Paul, thank you for being our guest. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, right. and when we come back, Anna, uh, if you can tell us a little bit about um, the latest issue, number 20 of Startups Magazine, that'd be awesome. Of course. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. 
We support the high-low movement. Right, I've had a flick through the magazine, um, and I'm very lucky to, to know the magazine fairly well myself anyway. But what, what articles do you think, um, what caught your eye the most in the latest issue? Let's put it that way. Well, to start with, the um, let's, let's start with the startup stories, maybe. Um, there was so many um, interesting solutions, products. I was a bit worried when we started laying, um, when we started planning the issue, sorry, um, that there would be a lot of software, you know, because there is a lot of software in health tech. There mm. might not be a lot of devices or there might be a lot of wearables because, again, obviously that's another um, big area within health tech. And I kind of wanted the startups to be super interesting as always but kind of do all have a like a different spin and I know it's all health techs that'd be difficult but do you know what I mean try and have like some different stories that kind of like yeah like complement but are very different from each other so um the the first uh, startup that I personally spoke to because there's uh, a number of us on the team that do write the um the articles up um was um my milk um and this one to me was super interesting because obviously breastfeeding um is still quite a taboo subject um some people aren't comfortable talking about it some people still aren't comfortable seeing it um it's been in the news a lot very recently because i'm pretty sure last week um i don't know if it was a week or a day there was it was like national um breastfeeding awareness day or week um Sorry, I couldn't um, specify which one, but yeah, I saw it all over Instagram and, you know, there was a lot of mums on there kind of sharing their experiences and and I'm not a mum myself, so I didn't fully understand um, some of the struggles that some new mums go through with breastfeeding. I know not everyone wants to breastfeed and that is absolutely fine, but I didn't know that a lot of mums can't breastfeed or actually really struggle um with the whole process and so my milk labs um is formed out of two um doctors um doctor dr sharon uh hamati and dr ravid uh shreta oopsin um who both gave birth shortly after they finished their phds um from the weinsman institute of science um, where they met each other both had their first babies and um both kind of struggled um i spoke to sharon personally for the interview and she said how she'd just given birth to her first child and she faced like so many challenges when it came to breastfeeding they the child wouldn't always latch on she was in so much pain and she really struggled with her milk supply because you know sometimes you don't produce enough milk so then you worry about the baby because you want to carry on breastfeeding but they're not getting enough milk and nutrients for you so then you it can be like a downward spiral so basically they've created this um miley device which is basically to track um your success and your basically your breastfeeding journey um with postpartum mothers so literally from like the day you give birth like super early on you just take like a drop of your milk and put it into the device and then it connects to your phone um through an app and then it can help you um give you useful advice tips and tricks you can like put in there your symptoms of what you're going through and then it can give you suggestions to help you through certain difficulties during breastfeeding it can inform you on your milk supply when you're running low what you can do to help this and it's basically just to help mothers who want to breastfeed for longer so that they have the option to Mm. um 
And I just thought that that was kind of like a, a lovely um, little device and story, because as I say, like, um, I think she, Sharon told me that um, almost all new mothers want to breastfeed and this applies globally, globally and almost 80% of them do initiate breastfeeding, but over 60% of them have had to stop before they wanted to because of one reason or another um but one of the biggest reasons is that they didn't have enough milk and they were worried about their baby so um yeah anything that can kind of help you go through um something like that as easy as possible to me seemed like a fantastic idea and it's been very well received and then off the back of that the two founders and another lady actually um, campaigned and introduced the first um, milk bank in Israel. That's where they were they were based, and um, they had the first human milk bank. So for the babies in hospital that um, didn't have their mother for one reason or another. Um, they were able to get breast milk from other mothers that were able to donate some um, and help other babies, um, which was apparently a massive need um, and a massive help during the pandemic last year. Wow. So, yeah, it was so incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we've had um, we've had Elvie on the show on on the podcast um, mm -hmm. in the past, and yeah. you know what's immediately apparent is that when it comes to things like breastfeeding, um, yeah, absolutely. What what you're describing there with with us with a service and and, and and education is important but you know you just look at the the products you know you're talking about hardware at the top of, of that of that piece and you know breast pumps hadn't been um kind of thought about in like 50 years and we're just totally unfit for purpose and i think you know it's that part of that wider piece of um of, of technology and products and software that just hasn't been thought about from a female perspective uh, and and, it, and it's fairly criminal, but it's in, unfortunately a byproduct of a, of a of an industry that is dominated by men who don't yeah. think through about these things. And, you know, and I noticed that you've got Bay of Fertility. You had Tess um, yes. in this issue again, yeah. very similar kind of arena of, um, of of a of a product that is primarily, whilst it's family planning, so it should be both the mother and the father. Let's face it; it's, it's generally left to the mother um when it comes to these issues and 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 men don't take responsibility for checking about fertility and, and generally don't have that conversation so here's a product that was primarily kind of being being aimed at women um and again just that education piece and i suppose making that i i think it's really important that you make more men aware of the challenges and the perspective and you know it's what what's been on the market in the status quo for decades is not good enough yeah, no, 100%. And um, yeah, we had beef fertility in there as well, like you said, Tess. And then interestingly enough, we had um, Selectivity, um, which was um, founded by um, three guys, actually, um, who wanted to help for fertility treatment with sperm selection. So uh, it, it obviously is a guy speaking about it, but from more of the male perspective. Um, mm. And um, yeah, it, um, my colleague Alex spoke to uh, Jonathan and um, he's such a family man, she said. And um, there's a picture of him and his family in there. He's got three beautiful children. And um, he was like, you know, we were obviously creating this product, which was our business to help other people have families and go through these problems. Um, to help them through these problems, sorry. But he was like, it just kind of proves that family 
is more important than anything um and he was like I just want to give as many people kind of like that opportunity and that experience that that I can because family means so much to me and um obviously it, it doesn't not everyone wants a family but if, you know for people that do want it then um yeah he was like we just want to help them in any way that they can and yeah it's a it was a, a big passion of his and uh, yeah he spoke very passionately about it which was obviously lovely to see so look, if someone wants to get hold of a copy of the magazine um obviously the physical copy might be harder to get hold of but you can you can order the physical copy right on on the site but also there's the digital version that someone can read um on a tablet or or their laptop etc Yes, so the magazine is completely free digitally. Um, you just need to subscribe with your email address and then you can, as you say, read it on your laptop, tablet or phone. Mm -hmm. You can order a um, physical copy. Again, the magazine is free. We just ask for a postage. Um, or if you are based in London and other um, workspaces around the UK, but we do um, deliver a lot to London. Obviously, it's close by to us. Um, we are in a lot of workspaces. Um, some workspaces aren't fully... Um, open in the fact that they're not having magazines yet because we're still a little bit cautious on the COVID side and they don't want things laying around but um, a lot of our workspaces are receiving our magazines again and we ship boxes and boxes and boxes over there so um, yeah if you have a local workspace do you go and have a little look and there may be a free copy of Startup Magazine that you can take away. Awesome look Anna it's been a pleasure thank you for joining me on the show and we'll have you back when you've got a new issue out and, and do the same again. Amazing. Thank you so much, David. It's been my pleasure. Cool. Have a good afternoon. And you. Thank you. I don't care. I'm not